You're listening to the 2023 Central Texas Men's Conference. Learn more at centraltexasmc.com. Here's Peter Reed. Thank you. It's good to be back with you. Three years ago, you guys made me feel very welcome and very much at home here. Before I do anything else, Pat, I want to have you come up. Just come up the stairs over. Pat, yeah, just run. I just need your help. Just a second. Thank you. I just need you to confirm that that's hot. That's very hot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank My you. Okay, that's great. That's all I need. That. Good. Yeah, as Charles said, uh, three years ago I came and, and uh, you guys just made me feel so welcome. And it's a privilege to know there was going to be ice in Austin when I arrived. Let's just put it that way. I uh, was not anticipating that. I originally come from Minnesota, and to be honest with you, I'd rather face a snowstorm than an ice storm living through that. And we're glad to be here. My wife is uh, German. She was made in Germany. And uh, we've, we've been uh, married for almost 19 years now. Gabby wasn't eight years when I met her before we got married, and I was 43 when we first got married, and I don't know who had the bigger risk. I think probably she did. And God has been very gracious, and what we've experienced is that supplies, he doesn't supply partial answers, but complete ones. And that's been very true in our experience. As Austin said, our theme this week, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verses 2 and 3 Paul says, you are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. We're a letter of Christ. And God's word says that that simply because it has been a work of the spirit of God, not a work of man that has done that. And we're going to speak this week about authentic Christianity. I know in Germany, which has become my adopted home, there's a tremendous need for authenticity today. And I know our students who are often between 18 and 23 years old, necessarily seeking for somebody who's perfect, but they are seeking somebody who is authentic. And they are seeking somebody who, even in their weakness, knows the reality of the living, risen Christ who's doing work in their lives by his spirit. I have two... uh, vases with flowers in them. Let me just uh, put down my mic and hold them up so you can all see them. <laughs> don't, don't clap. That's not my, my department at all. But probably from your vantage point, both of them look pretty good from a distance. In fact, I'd venture to say that some of you may think, well, I'm not really sure. 
but you need to know that one of those is a fake. And again, you may not be able to recognize which one that is from a distance, whether it's this one right or if it's this one right here. They look pretty similar. But all you'd have to do is come up close to the stage. Some of you probably from a step or two away could recognize the difference. Some of you would need to get really close. Some of you like me would have to come up and feel them and then we'd know the difference and if we pulled them up to our nose and that's the real thing right there. One's authentic and one's a fake. And the difference is very simply this. Origin. God did this. Man did this. And that makes all the difference in the world. His word says we're a letter of Christ because of the work of the Spirit. Not man's work, but God's work. And we need to know that the origin of our Christian life is even more than the content of our Christian life. Don't misquote me. I did not just say that the content of our Christian life is unimportant. I said that the origin of our Christian life is more important. And when the origin is right, the content is automatically right. And when the origin is a true work of the Spirit of God in my life, then the content will follow suit. That is what makes authenticity possible. God does it, not me. And there is a great, great need for an authentic work of God in my life. So that when people get close... And they get close to us and listen to the way that we speak, the way that we spend our money, the way that we lead our marriage, the way we treat our children, what we do in our free time, what we look at on a screen. They'll know the difference. When they, people are aching for that. For an authentic work of Christ. And during this weekend, we want to cover a few subjects concerning this. And this evening, I want to talk about this, very simply, the need to need. Thank you, Mark, or whoever put that background on there. I just normally do black and white. It's about as good as it gets with me. Thank you so much. And I want to go to a passage from Revelation chapter 3, and some of us veteran pew sitters will recognize that. Revelation 3, starting verse 14. Jesus, speaking to the church at Laodicea, said this. The amen, the faithful and true witness of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed in eye salve to anoint your eyes that see. You see, this church from a distance, you would have said, man, there's a lot going on there. From a distance, it would have looked good. People who were regular attenders, there were people who were ready to volunteer, there were people who even went to a men's weekend. And we need to understand that activity is not necessarily the measure of spirituality and motion does not necessarily mean progress in the kingdom of God. There's a lot of of stuff going on in this church. You would have thought from the outside, everything's going very well. And yet Jesus says, I'm sick of this. They were very busy and very empty. And their pursuit of activity had become a substitute for reality. Sorry, Edgar. There we go. Let me read this quote by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, we're not to hunger and thirst after blessedness. We're not to hunger and thirstiness. But that is what most people are doing. We're putting happiness and blessedness as the one thing that we desire and thus we always miss it. According to the scriptures, happiness is never something that should be strictly. It is always something that results from seeking something else. And Jesus said, there's a lot going on here, but there's something desperately wrong. They were holding to a form of godliness, but they had denied its power. And in the end, they were saying, I've become wealthy and need nothing, including Jesus. I have a friend who attended one of the most well-known seminaries in the States. If I mentioned the name of it, many of you would know it. He attended that school for four years, and during that time, he got to know a godly African brother who had been sent there by his denomination to be trained as a pastor. And they had studies together for over a period of four years. And at the end of their studies, my friend asked this African brother the following He said, you know, you've been in my country now for four years. You've been a part of our church for four years. May I ask you what's impressed you the most? And this godly, humble, youthful African brother said this. Well, if I were honest, what's impressed me most is how much Christians can do without Christ. In this passage, Jesus is called the beginning or the source or the origin. 
And when they were seeking to be doing all the on the outside, they were seeking the one who alone by his spirit on the inside could make it possible. And they were missing him. He said, I'm the beginning. I'm the origin. I'm the source. You see, if anything spiritual is going to take place through Peter Reed's life, it cannot come from Peter Reed. It must come from the spirit of God himself. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 speaks of the, the fruit spirit, not the fruit of the saint. And the minute I try and be spiritual, I'm not by virtue of the fact that I tried. I just need to stay out of his way. And I need to come to the place of speaking about here. I need to need. I need to need. He began by saying, I know. And then Jesus says, you don't know. Have we ever realized that Jesus knows more than I do, even about me? This was a group of people in the church that was suffering self-deception. He said, you say we become wealthy and we have need of nothing, and yet you do not know that you're poor and miserable and blind and naked. They're deceived. Paul spoke about this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. He said, he who thinks he is something when he is nothing deceives himself. And the essence of self-deception is that you don't know that you The cure for self-deception is truth, and the prescription can sometimes be a shock, just like it was in the life of Peter. He said in Mark chapter 14, Lord, all may fall away, I won't. And then he went out and did the thing he said he would never do. And when it says in Luke chapter 22 and verse 62 that Peter went out and wept bitter tears. It wasn't Jesus who was disappointed. Jesus knew all along. And when Peter made that, Jesus said, oh Yeah. Before the cock crows today, you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. Jesus saw this coming from a distance, but Peter didn't recognize it in himself. And when he walked through the Jerusalem that early morning, weeping bitter tears, he was not under the Spirit's conviction. He was suffering from self-condemnation, and his self-condemnation was rooted in his self-deception. See, when I'm disappointed with myself, it is proof that I have been trusting in myself in the first place. And what I think is God's disappointment with me is actually my pride pouting. Because I think I have what it takes. If I could have the next slide. A man by the name of Bill Gillum said this, the problem is that you don't know what your problem is. Your problem is the main problem, but that's not the problem at all. The problem is you don't know what your problem is, and that's your main problem. <laughs> man by the name of Victor Franco, a psychiatrist, he worked in Vienna before being arrested and then sent to Auschwitz. He wrote a book that I read in college called Man's Search for Meaning. 
and people in Auschwitz during the war and when he was there because he was a doctor. And he said something very simple but very true. He said, any organ that is aware of it is sick. Any organ that's aware of itself is sick. I don't notice my stomach until I have a stomach ache. I don't, I don't notice, you know, my, my, you know, the inside of my brain and my forehead until I have a headache. Any organ that's aware of itself is sick. And, and sometimes this, this, this pattern of self-deception and self-condemnation is one of the biggest thieves of joy I know. They said they had need of nothing, and that included Jesus. And there's only one person for whom God can do nothing. And that's the person who senses no need in their life for Jesus. And then Jesus comes and he says, come and buy from me gold. Well, how can you buy if you're poor? It's exactly what God was saying to his people in Isaiah 5 and verse 1 when he said, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Buy wine without money and without cost. That does not make sense. How can you buy something without money? And yet God says, the ones who have no money, you're invited to come. He said, you who are poor and blind and miserable and wretched, you come and buy from me. The more valuable something is, the more it costs to obtain it. In the kingdom of God, that order is reversed. God's economy works different than man's. I have a friend, he works in a design department of Mercedes-Benz near Stuttgart. And he goes through a couple of security doors before he gets to his workplace. He builds... um, clay models, the next series of Mercedes is going to be produced, and then he makes a life-size model, and one day he called me and said, Peter, they gave me a test car for the weekend, I have to drive it a certain number of kilometers, can I come down and pick you and Gabby up and we can enjoy the ride? Can I come down? I said, does a one-legged duck swim in circles? (laughs) I said, get down here. And so... I get into the passenger of the front seat and he pushed some button and immediately I'm getting a massage. Then I look at the screen on the front and from his angle, he sees the GP app and from my angle, I'm watching a Bundesliga soccer game and there's no split on the screen. It has all to do with the angle at which you watch. He says, you see up there? If my eyes begin to shut, an alarm goes off. And he's showing me all the, you know, bells and whistles. And then I ask the magic question. <laughs> Is this thing going to cost? He said, well, somewhere 
little over 160,000 euros. I said, it's out of my league. I'll never own a car like that. I work for torch bears. In the kingdom of God, the economic order is reversed. And the person who comes before Jesus and, and self-deception says, I've got it what it takes. God says, I'm sorry, I don't accept that kind of currency. But the one who comes like a beggar with empty hands, God says that's the one who can come. You see, the currency of the kingdom of God does not, is not called, it's called need. And I mean, we sit there and they say, Peter, you know, you don't know where I've been. You don't understand the circumstances of my life right now. You don't know the condition of my heart. No, I don't. But I do know that God's invitation is those who have no money come and buy. I brought a quote by Chambers. Oswald Chambers studied in in Edinburgh, Scotland. He studied art. He founded a Bible school in London. Then went into the British Army and he was posted in North Africa. And while he was there working for the YMCA among British soldiers, he built a tent that could hold over 400 soldiers. And he regularly gave devotionals and Bible studies. His wife used to sit in the back and take notes. He died on the operating table. He had appendicitis. He was 43 years old. And we can be thankful that his wife sat and took notes because she put those notes together. And there was a devotional book that was published on the basis of those notes. And it's called My Utmost for His Highest. He said this, he said, the greatest blessing God can give to a man is the knowledge of his own destitution. God went on and spoke to his people on Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, and he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. And how often have I taken this totally out of its context and misused it? Someone's having a tough day. You don't understand what's going on. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 and 9. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are, so are God's ways above our ways. That's just, that's just the way that it is. That is not the context of that verse. The context of that verse is God says, come, buy without money. By the way, my ways are far above your ways. I understand this doesn't make sense. But that's the type of person my heart warms to. So come empty-handed. Come in your... We are never more mature in the eyes of God than when we come empty-handed. A.W. Tozer, I brought this quote. This he put it this way. 
Sorry, it says Oswald Chambers. It's supposed to be A.W. Tozer. He said, take the Holy Spirit from the new church. And 95% of its all of its activity would stop immediately. Take the Holy Spirit from the church today and 95% of its activity would continue as normal. He said that in the early 1960s. I heard this question asked by the founder of our mission, and when I heard it, it bothered me, and every time I hear it, it bothers me again. And the question is very simply this. What if Jesus died today? I'm not talking about rolling back time 2,000 years. What if Jesus died today and was no longer alive by his spirit in me? What would change in my life as a Christian? Or would everything continue as normal? That would be like asking the question, what would happen if we withdrew the presence of electricity from these spotlights up here? Would anything change? You see, once Christianity is reduced to the realm of human capability, it ceases to be biblical Christianity. Once Christianity is reduced to human capability, it ceases to be biblical Christianity because biblical Christianity from start to finish is Christ's working, his activity, his doing. And he does it from the inside out and he makes us into a letter of himself for people to read. I can, that's humanism. I must, religion. I can't, that's a Christian. I can't, but he can. And so Jesus says in verse 19 of Revelation 3, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If Jesus standing outside knocking at the door, he had nothing to do with the activity he speaks about in verses 14 and 15 of Revelation chapter 3. If he's on the outside looking in. He had nothing to do with everything that was going on that he mentions before. And he says, I'm knocking on the outside, and I invite you to a meal. And a meal in the Old Testament in particular was a way that they sealed a covenant. And you remember supper when Jesus sat with his disciples, and he said, this is, the, this is the blood of the new covenant that I'm establishing with you. And then we go to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 explains the essence of the new covenant. And it says in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 8, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins more. This is the new covenant. I want to come and by a work of the Spirit transform the very motivations of your heart so that a transformed heart begins to express itself in a transformed life. But it has to start from the inside. This is the new covenant. I'm sure tonight, and it's a picture of the Lord Jesus, and it was painted by a man named William Hunt. You can see this picture in St. Paul's Cathedral. It's also at Oxford University. And the Tasis light of the world And it's the picture of Jesus in Revelation chapter 3. And if you are able to see this clearly and inspect it closely, that's Jesus on the outside knocking on the door. This door has no handle on the outside where Jesus is standing. And he painted it specifically this way because Jesus is a gentleman and he is a God of love. There's a door handle on the inside where I am, though. And I'm the one who opens the door. He will not come in by force. And it's always important to know that it's the empty hand that can open the door. The empty hand. And when I come to the Lord Jesus and I say, Lord, I've been myself. I'm a fake. I've replaced activity on the outside with reality on the inside, and you've had nothing to do with what I call the Christian life. And Jesus calls us to repent. By the way, the word Laodicea means the people rule. When I discovered that I have strong allergies and asthma, and we discovered this when I was in grade school, and my mom was a single mom at that time with four kids at home. And for whatever reason, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had such a strong allergic to the dog, to the mold, to the pollen, whatever, whatever it was, that my eyes had swelled shut. I'd looked like a boxer in a fight. And I felt my way down the hall to mom's bedroom, stood at her bedside, and I said, Mom, I can't get my eyes open. She said, neither can I go back to bed. So obedient little boy that I was, I went back to bed and lied down. A few minutes later, I went and did the same thing. Her bedside said, Mom, I can't get my eyes open. She said, Peter, it's 2 a.m. You're not supposed to have your eyes open. Go back to bed. Well, she came in, turned the light switch on, and she felt horrible. Next day, we went to the doctor, and I got allergy shot and asthma medication until I was about 18. And then the doctor said, you've outgrown this. You don't need the medication anymore. My last year of university, we took vacation Uh, over Christmas, and we were going to ski. 
I wanted to play hockey coming from Minnesota. My parents were ski instructors. They won the battle, and I'm thankful for that today. And we were driving from Minneapolis out, and then we drove from Denver up to Estes Park. You get to Denver, the mile-high city. The air is a little bit thinner than it is in Minneapolis. And then we drove up to Estes Park, and it got really thin. And what was happening this whole time was I had come back with a vengeance. I thought it was a cough. I thought, you know, maybe I have a little cold, but I'm not going to give up my ski vacation just because I'm coughing. Well, things got worse when we got up to Est, and eventually my fingernails turned blue and my lips had turned blue. So we went to the emergency room. And the doctor on duty said, listen, I want you to blow in right here. It's called a peak flow uh, measurement. I'm going to measure your lung capacity, so blow in this thing as hard as you can. And I went... And he looked at it and he said, you have the city of a small girl. It's about time you got in here. And by the way, at this altitude, people like you could suffer brain damage because of a lack of oxygen in their brain. My closest friends think that's what happened. But he told me no. <laughs> and I spent the rest of my ski vacation in the hospital in Estes Park. And since that day, you could go into my room this evening and find three inhalers, cortisone, and at home there's an inhaler, and I carry a shot now, which has been a godsend. When I was in Colorado, I did something very biblical. I repented. I said, there's no way that I can live like this any, any longer. And my problem is, I don't have what it takes to get me out of this situation. So I changed my mind. And when you're as desperate as, and you're thinking, hmm, live or ski, hmm, I was ready to forfeit my ski vacation because I was so desperate. Because sometimes that's what, includes your willingness to make whatever adjustment the Lord places on your heart because you know you cannot live this way anymore longer. Jesus said, those whom I love, I discipline. So be zealous and repent. And repentance leaves us one option, and that's the option we've had all along, and that is we come to Jesus bankrupt, we come empty, hum in our need as a Christian and say, Lord Jesus, I can't do this. And it's the most terrifying thing for some people to come and do, to admit that they cannot produce godliness. Lord Jesus, I need to come to the table that you've invited me to. I need the reality of the new covenant. I need you by your spirit to so work in my heart that the motivated heart, the very desires of my heart changed because of what you do. And I come empty handed. So that's the invitation tonight. To come empty handed. And to say, Lord Jesus, I'm busy, but I am very empty. And I know you must be sick of this. And I come to walk in the light and to finally admit I can't do this.
I've been faking it. Pat, I need your help again. If you just come up here. I just need you to confirm that feel. It's not hot. It's not hot. (laughs) There you go. Thank you. That's all I need you for. (laughs) Here's the deep theological question, Pat. What did you water to make it lukewarm? Nothing. You can do nothing. And something's going to happen. We're just going to adopt the temperature of our own environment. That's all. And unless the living Christ, by spirit, works in me, something that only he can do, I'm just going to adapt the temperature, the spiritual moral temperature of my environment. And says, be zealous and repent. Of what, Peter? Very simply this. My Christless Christianity. Christless Christianity. Doing it all on my own. And Jesus the whole time is standing outside. And this has probably manifested itself... To those who get closest to me, and they can evaluate the quality of my Christian life, they know. You cannot evaluate my spiritual maturity this weekend by this series of messages. You can't do it. There's one way to evaluate the depth of my spiritual maturity is to talk to one person, my wife. I hope she would say he's making progress. But she knows because she's close day in and day out. I'd like to end this message tonight. I know that some of us have had a long day and so I don't want to take that long. But I just want to take 60 seconds to speak to the Lord individually right at the beginning of this weekend and do business with him. Really, most important point in my sermon is when I stop talking and we have an opportunity just to respond to the Lord in the quietness of our heart and speak to him. To the one who sell us, therefore, and repent and come empty-handed And open the door. So would you pray with me. For 60 seconds. And in the quietness of that moment. Let's just speak to the Lord. And I'll close with a word of prayer. Starting right now. Lord Jesus I thank you that you understand us. I want to thank you that you understand and see what nobody else does in this room. I want to thank you that we can't flatter you. We can't lie to you.
and we can't fake it in front of you. I thank you that you said the truth sets free. And Lord, I would simply pray that we would come in of our desperate need for you. Lord, we come tonight as beggars. We come tonight knowing that if anything of true spiritual value and eternal worth is going to happen, if you're going to have to be the origin of that. And I thank you so much that you've endowed us with the very presence of your spirit for you to establish the work of the new covenant and change me from Lord, may this weekend serve that end. We pray in your precious name. Amen.